Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Today, we look at the role of sports in times of American tragedies with a heavy emphasis on the events surrounding the aftermath of September 11th, 2001. When a president gets shot or there's a major terrorist attack, do sports still have significance in the national conscious? What do you think, Matt? One of our topics in this course has been the story of sports as part of the patriotic pageantry in American history. You know, certainly we have discussed the idea of playing sports as a patriotic virtue, and I will briefly revisit that idea today. And of course, we have discussed Olympic sports and the celebration of American athletes. Today, I want to explore the idea of American sporting arenas as patriotic spaces. You know, when did that idea and those connections emerge? When, for example, did we start singing the Star Spangled Banner at sporting events? I'll tell you what we know in just a second. And I want to explore American sports and sporting arenas in times of national trauma and crisis. We will explore a few different moments, but we will work our way towards September 11th, 2001. That was the moment when the links between sports and patriotism and militarism were solidified even more in the American mind. And then finally, part of what I'm doing today is setting up for our final lecture when we explore the reaction to American athletes like the football player, Colin Kaepernick, using the sporting arena as a space for political protest. I think this lecture right now will help us better understand the backlash to that moment. Okay, well, one of the things that's so interesting in the current debate over athletes using sporting arenas and the national anthem to make political protests is we just assume that the national anthem should be played at sporting events. 
There's almost no other place in American life where we do this. When I teach my courses in a classroom, there is no anthem. Go to the movies, to a play, the opera, a rock concert, whatever. There's no anthem. So why sporting events? When did the tradition of playing patriotic songs at sporting events begin? It's a good question. I'm glad I asked it. Sport historians are trying to figure this out precisely. And here's what we know. The earliest known playing of the Star Spangled Banner at a sporting event, it came out of baseball game. It was played at the opening of the Union Grounds Ballpark in Brooklyn in May of 1862. In 1862, this was during the Civil War. And the name of the park, the Union Grounds, was itself linked to the war. Union referred to the reason that the northern states were fighting the war to preserve the Union. And so the Star-Spangled Banner was played as a statement of exactly that, unionism. Let's fast forward to World War I. As a reminder, I said in an earlier lecture that no war had a greater impact on sports in the United States than World War I. In the early 20th century, sports were becoming a part of everyday life in the U.S. And then comes the Great War, and, and physical educators assured Americans that we were ready because we're a nation of athletes. And, and after the war, they claimed that the American victory could be attributed to sports. Sports and military preparedness and American patriotism have been closely linked ever since. The connections between sports and the Star-Spangled Banner were strengthened during this war as well. And once again, we turn to baseball. The 1918 World Series was between the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox. Game one was in Chicago, and the Red Sox star pitcher, Babe Ruth, remember him, he threw a shutout for the win. But the game is remembered for the middle of the seventh inning when the Cubs stadium band played an impromptu rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. And the players turned and took off their caps and faced the music. The crowd sang the words and then roared as one when it was over. They sang the Star Spangled Banner as a sign of American resolve during a time of international crisis. And the performance was repeated at every game of the 1918 World Series. But then the war ended and the playing of the Star-Spangled Banner at baseball games, that went away. So, you know, it was not until 1931 that the Star-Spangled Banner was made the official national anthem of the United States. This was by an act of Congress. And then a decade later comes World War II. And this is when the new official anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, this is when it became a permanent presence at American sporting events. During World War II, all major league teams opened their games with the national anthem, and this continued throughout the war. And then it continued after the war because now the United States was in another war, the Cold War with the Soviet Union. And the United States has more or less been at war since December 7th, 1941. World War II, the Cold War, the War on Terror. And so since World War II, the national anthem has been played before virtually every professional baseball, football, basketball, and hockey contest in this country, college and high school athletic competitions as well. It's played because of the long-standing links between sports and militarism in our country. I think back to our discussion of early college football being seen as the moral equivalent of war. 
It's played because sporting arenas are our great civic gathering spaces where Americans congregate in times of peace and trouble. I'll say more about this later. And it's played because that's just how we've done it for so long, since World War II. And to stop now could be perceived as being anti-American, and no team or sports league wants to be perceived as that. There's another moment, uh, another war, and another sporting event that I think needs to be mentioned here. In January of 1991, the United States was preparing for battle against Iraq. This was in response to the Iraqi army occupying Kuwait and, of course, the threat that posed to American access to oil reserves in the Middle East. In January of 1991, the U.S. military began pounding Baghdad by air. This began what's known as the first Gulf War. And 10 days after that air offensive began, as the U.S. was preparing for a land invasion of Iraq, Super Bowl 25 was played in Tampa, Florida, between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills. And there was talk of postponing the game. You know, were sports appropriate at a time like this? We'll talk more about this idea of pausing sports in just a second. The NFL commissioner, Paul Tagliabue, he reasoned that this game was exactly what the country needed at the time. This game could be part of the larger war effort. And that's what happened. The NFL, ABC Television, and the White House, they turned the Super Bowl into what one columnist called a five-hour infomercial for war. There were videos of soldiers in the Middle East playing football and, and then watching the game. There were thunderous military flyovers above the Tampa Stadium, the exact same types of planes that were at that very moment dropping bombs on Baghdad. Whitney Houston sang a rousing version of the Star-Spangled Banner, a version so popular it became a top 10 pop hit that winter. And instead of showing the glitzy Super Bowl halftime show, sorry, new kids on the block, ABC aired a halftime speech in which the president, George H.W. Bush, he addressed the nation, updated Americans on the military situation, and he called the Gulf War, and I kid you not, my Super Bowl. The links between sports and patriotism and militarism were cemented even further. And then came September 11th. After the break, Mike Piazza crushes a towering home run, and New York and the 12-year-old Mike Coscarelli go bananas. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Those who are old enough remember it like it was yesterday. You know what happened. Al-Qaeda operatives hijacked four airplanes. They flew two of them into the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers. Office workers scampered out of these buildings. Police officers and firefighters rushed in to rescue people. But then the heat from the fire caused the steel structure of the towers to melt and then collapse. This was the worst day in American history. Maybe only Pearl Harbor Day in 1941 compares. Over 3,000 Americans were killed. And it always feels a little silly to me to relate this moment to sports, but that's my task today. Although I should say, that's actually how people thought of it back then. Let's not talk about sports. Who cares about sports at a time like this? And so all sports stopped. Let's talk right now about sports stopping. When has that happened in American history? The template for what to do in a time of crisis was set, I think, back on Pearl Harbor Day, December 7, 1941. The attack was on a Sunday morning and NFL games kicked off just a few hours later. Football did not stop. But if you remember what I said in our lecture about the NFL, pro football was a minor sport back then. This just did not cause much conversation. The more significant moment came one month later in January of 1942, when Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, he wrote a letter to the American president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Major League Baseball was getting ready to sign contracts and plan for spring training for the 1942 season. And Landis wanted to know, should baseball go on? Should it continue during the war? Now, it must have killed Landis to defer to Roosevelt. Landis was as conservative as they came, and he thought that Roosevelt and his New Deal policies were leading the nation to socialism and ruin. But he knew he had to get the president's blessing, which he got. Roosevelt wrote back and said he thought baseball should continue. And his response to Landis is known as the green light letter. Roosevelt reasoned that not only was baseball an important part of the American economy, but in this time of national trauma, people were going to need diversions and baseball could provide that. And I think this set the standard, that the green light letter set the tone. Because sports are such a fundamental aspect of American life, they need to continue. 20 years later, on November 22nd, 1963, the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Dallas. That was a Friday. Two days later, with the nation still reeling in shock, the NFL insisted upon a full slate of games. The NFL commissioner, Pete Rozelle, he did not cancel games. He said that as a football fan, Kennedy would have wanted the games to go on. 
Now, there was solemnity at these NFL games. There was remembrance for the fallen president. But the decision to play so soon after Kennedy's death is considered one of the great missteps in NFL history. And the commissioner himself, Pete Rozelle, he said at the end of his career that it was his biggest regret. There were far too many assassinations in the 1960s. Five years later, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee, April 4th, 1968. Major League Baseball was scheduled to start their season on April 9th, but that was the same day of King's funeral in Atlanta. There were calls to pause sports and postpone opening day out of respect for King. But another consideration was that American cities were burning. In response to the murder of Dr. King, many American inner cities exploded in anger. How safe would it be to host a baseball game? And there was another factor. Listen to this. Almost one third of all major league players in 1968, they were members of the National Guard. Baseball team owners got their players positions in the National Guard so they would not lose their players to the draft for the Vietnam War. And the National Guard was patrolling the streets of American cities, trying to stop looting and arson. The baseball players were busy. So opening day was postponed for a couple of days. Sports stopped. Just two months later, Robert Kennedy was running for the Democratic nomination for president, and he was assassinated in Los Angeles. Bobby Kennedy always had one eye on the sports world, and he had strong ties with many American athletes. You know, in the speech that he gave right before he was shot, he congratulated the Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Don Drysdale on pitching a shutout that evening. As he walked off the stage, he was shot by Sirhan Sirhan, and it was two athletes, the Olympic decathlete Rayford Johnson and the NFL star Rosie Greer, who tackled and disarmed the assassin. This time, there would be no league-wide stoppage of play. Uh, The commissioner of Major League Baseball, now a guy named William Eckert, he announced that it would be left to individual teams to decide whether or not to play. But this caused confusion and and acrimony. Robert Kennedy's funeral was on June 8th. The New York Mets were scheduled to play in San Francisco against the Giants that day. And remember, Bobby Kennedy was not just a presidential candidate. He was a senator from New York. And the New York Mets players, they voted not to play. But the Giants objected. Their owner said, if the Mets do not play, we will gladly accept the forfeit. The commissioner eventually stepped in and had the game postponed. I don't want to turn this into a laundry list of moments, though I actually do find all these stories very interesting. But there is just one more moment to consider before we get to September 11th. On March 30th, 1981, the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, was shot in Washington, D.C., Secret servicemen rushed him to the hospital for emergency surgery, and the president's fate that day was uncertain. There were two big cultural events scheduled for that night, the Academy Awards in Los Angeles and the NCAA championship basketball game in Philadelphia. The Academy Awards were postponed for a day, and I suppose there was no debate as not only had the president been shot, but Reagan had been the governor of California and the the, the president of the Hollywood Screen Actors Guild. The NCAA title game, that was between the universities of Indiana and North Carolina. 
And there's a famous story that the two coaches, Bobby Knight and Dean Smith, that they met in a broom closet right before the game was scheduled to start to discuss whether or not to play. But the decision was not actually theirs. It was up to the NCAA. And just 27 minutes before tip-off, they got the word that Reagan was out of surgery and stable. So the game was played that evening. And sort of shockingly, the third place consolation game between LSU and Virginia was also played that day. And it was played before the final, while Ronald Reagan's prognosis was still unknown. 1981 was the last year that the NCAA played a third place consolation game at the final four. And part of the reason for terminating that game was what many considered the macabre spectacle of college athletes playing basketball while the president of the United States was being operated on. We will talk next time about when sports stopped due to COVID and then again after the shooting of Jacob Blake. But let's turn to September 11th, 2001. September 11th happened on a Tuesday. I suppose it's possible that we as a nation could have wrapped our heads around, say, NFL football five days later as a grasp at normalcy. And I have read that the NFL owners did not want to postpone the games that weekend. Um, But first of all, there were no flights. All airplanes were grounded for a week. No one could travel by air. Would the NFL owners really have asked for an exception to play football? But more than this, as I suggested earlier, sports stopped because they seemed totally irrelevant. What was football or a baseball game compared to this attack? The NFL did postpone their games that weekend. Those games were moved to the end of their season. Major League Baseball went on hiatus for a week. Most high school football games, almost all college football games were canceled that weekend. But then eventually the sports came back. I mean, life does go on after all. And I think it's interesting and it it makes perfect sense, really, how sporting arenas were the primary public spaces in which Americans grappled with what had just happened. Where else in American life do 50,000 or 80,000 people come together? The answer unequivocally is nowhere. This is one of the great powers of sports in this nation. And this was the power of sports in the aftermath of September 11th. Sporting arenas were more than ever the great American spaces. Baseball resumed first, and the focus of the nation's grief was on New York. So there was an outpouring of love and sympathy for New Yorkers. In Pittsburgh, fans wore I Love New York pins, and they donated thousands of dollars for relief efforts. At Fenway Park in Boston, the crowd spontaneously started singing Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. They hate the New York Yankees in Boston, but such was the moment. The first professional sporting event to occur in New York City after the attacks, it took place 10 days after 9-11 on September 21st when the Atlanta Braves visited the New York Mets. And just a few miles away, smoke was still rising from the smoldering fires beneath the rubble that had been the World Trade Center. And the Mets players, they wore NYPD and FDNY hats in honor of the police officers and the firefighters who had rushed into those buildings and been killed in the collapse. And they wore those hats the rest of the season. In the bottom of the eighth inning of this game, down one run, Mike Piazza hit a booming home run to put the Mets in the lead. 
and the stands were pulsating, fans hugging and shouting. For the first time in 10 days, New Yorkers had something to cheer about. 10 days of anguish, it just poured out. I was not there, but even watching it on television, you could just feel the release. You know, I know it's just a baseball game, but it was definitely a moment of catharsis. Football came back the next weekend. And what went on in football stadiums was different than what went on in baseball parks. In baseball parks, I think the general sentiment was healing and togetherness. But football, as you know, it's the great American militaristic sport. And so it's not surprising that football stadiums were spaces where one saw displays of impending militarism, marching soldiers and thundering jets flying overhead. No, this was what was coming Al-Qaeda's way, revenge. And then in October came a presidential first pitch. It seemed fitting that the New York Yankees, the team that were in many ways is the symbol of American professional sports, they were in the World Series one month later against the Arizona Diamondbacks. In the 2001 World Series, it opened in Arizona. So game three was the first game in New York. And President George W. Bush threw out the first pitch. New York City was on high alert. The, the attorney general had said there was credible evidence of another attack coming our way. 1,200 police officers were assigned to the game. There were metal detectors and bomb-sniffing dogs. The Secret Service put snipers on the roof of the stadium. There was a Secret Serviceman disguised as an umpire on the field. And there's a very good story about the lead-up to this first pitch. President Bush was down under the seats warming up as a pretty serious baseball guy. He was trying to get used to the bulletproof vest he was wearing under his jacket. And the Yankee shortstop, Derek Jeter, he walked up and he asked the president if he was going to throw from the front of the mound or on the mound. And the president said he thought he'd throw from the front of the mound. And Jeter said, I wouldn't do that, Mr. President. This is Yankee Stadium. You'll get booed. And so Bush said, all right, I'll throw from the mound then. And Jeter nodded and walked off. But then at the last minute, turned back and said, and you better not bounce it. Wow. Talk about pressure. Well, the president was introduced. He walked to the mound and he calmly threw it right down the middle and the crowd erupted and then burst into the chant, USA, USA. And I do realize I'm overstating things a bit, but this felt like a pretty big moment. You know, it was a declaration that life goes on. We, we will keep playing baseball in this country. It, it was another presidential green light letter. And as ridiculous as this sounds, and it sounds pretty ridiculous, I know. But at the time, the accuracy of the pitch somehow felt important. Maybe it was the fact the president was cool and composed enough to throw a strike or maybe it was just that he didn't embarrass himself at a time when national emotions were still very fragile. Anyway, it's silly now, but at the time, um, and I'll be honest, I did not root for George W. Bush often, not in elections at least, but I was definitely rooting for him that night. Okay, I have one last quick, but I think significant story, and this will wrap up what we're talking about right now and point to our topic next time. 
There was no American athlete who received more praise and publicity in the post-September 11th environment than the NFL player Pat Tillman. Pat Tillman was a safety for the Arizona Cardinals, but after the attacks, he quit the NFL and he gave up his multi-million dollar contract to join the Army. And the Army loved Pat Tillman. I mean, Tillman was the poster boy for military recruitment. Pat Tillman gave up everything for his country. So can you. Pat Tillman was an Army Ranger and he was sent to Afghanistan and he was killed in 2004. And it turns out that even though the Pentagon knew that Tillman had accidentally been killed by friendly fire by an American soldier who mistook him for the enemy, they fabricated a story that he had been killed by enemy combatants. I really don't know why they made that story up. Some lies I actually understand, but, but, but why this one? Does it matter how he was killed? Does it somehow cheapen his service? I don't think so. But the Pentagon lied. And for critics of the continuing wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, they saw this as evidence that the American government was just not being honest to its citizens about these wars abroad. But here's how I want to relate this to next time, our last lecture. Let's forget the controversy about Pat Tillman's death. Let's focus on his service. The NFL was very, very proud that one of its players traded in his football uniform for a military uniform. Pat Tillman's enlistment, it helped further solidify the idea that football was preparation for war. It furthered the idea that football players were American warriors. It furthered the idea that the football stadium was a hyper-patriotic space. And this is going to be one of the reasons that the outcry was so loud when another NFL player, Colin Kaepernick, used the football stadium to critique the American system. That's all for now. Next time on the final episode of the Untold History of Sports in America presented by One Day University. Shut up and dribble. School of Humans. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. 
Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 